Welcome to Bewildered. I'm Martha Beck, here with Rowan Mangan. At this crazy moment in history, a lot of people are feeling bewildered, but that actually may be a sign we're on track. Human culture teaches us to come to consensus, but nature, our own true nature, helps us come to our senses. Rowan and I believe that the best way to figure it all out is by going through bewilderment into bewilderment. That's why we're here. So, Marty, I think there's a pretty good chance that our listeners are out there going, oh, wow, I have a lot of cultural messages in my head and Mm -hmm. it's not that easy to access the voice of my true nature. Yes. And I don't know, they might be thinking, is there anything else that I could do other than listening to this podcast to help me learn to listen to my heart? Well, I had this question, even as a young child, I would say, I am not happy. And people would say, well, it's all in your head. And I'd be like, I know, get it out of my head. But nobody could really help me do that. And so um, in my 20s, I sort of made up a system to help me detach from cultural messages and connect with my true nature. And it ended up being my career as a life coach and then training people to do the same thing. And I think that, you know, it's just like people who feel the urge to heal themselves, heal, help others heal and heal the world, mm. that this this term life coach sort of slots into that in our culture. And yeah. people take the training to hang out a shingle and become life coaches. People take the training because it's like getting life coaching yeah you know and people also take the training just to learn to access their own true nature yeah it was originally just a access your own true nature course Mm -hmm. but when you've mastered that you really want to share it with other people and people want to be shared with and they will pay you money so if that's the way you want to go that's why it ended up being life coach training but it's actually wayfinder which is different. It's about finding your way by connecting with your true nature and and steering your own course. So if people are interested, you can Google Wayfinder Life Coach Training or go to marthabeck.com and you will find your way. Yes, you will. Hi, I'm Martha Beck. And I'm Rowan Mangan. And this is another episode of Bewildered, the podcast for people trying to figure it out. I'm trying to figure it out underwater. Not right now. Recently. Let me be clear. <laughs> Underwater, I said. But Marty turned up in full scuba gear and uh, figured it out on the diving board. Mm, yeah, because what I found is that, you know, it's not the diving, it's the suit. <laughs> it's because it keeps you, things from leaking in, extraneous things like water or anything that could disturb the mind. And then it keeps your thoughts from leaking out. So I never had to get in the water. I just wear the suit everywhere I go. Does it not get like mentally sweaty? Well, for other people, yeah. Because because they see me and they don't know what's happening. So they begin to sweat. But I I remain cool as a cucumber. Just walking around in your scuba suit. Walking around in my scuba suit. Love it. Love it. Actually, that reminds me of a true story of a time when I thought Adam, our, our son, my son with Down syndrome, has, had really figured it all out. And it was, we sat down to dinner and his friend was there and wanted to say grace or something. So then we did that. And then Adam, I said to Adam, do you believe in God? And he looked at the table and he said, God lives in pizza. And I was like, <laughs> how cute. And he was like, and God lives in salad and God lives in juice. And I was like, my God, 
he actually is like an oracle prophesying. So then the next day, and here is where the story relates to what you were saying. He was going swimming and he went by in swim fins with a, with a snorkeling set with a mask that had a shark head on the top of his head. Right. So he's walking strangely in those fins yeah. and he's going by and he's got the snorkeling and the shark fin on and I'm riding away. I'm in this like dewy mood and I turned to him and I said, Adam, where does God live? And he said, Mexico. And then it kept going. <laughs> plum, 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 plum. So yeah, that was the day I figured it all out. But what are you trying to figure it out in our present life? Marty, I'm trying to figure out the cost of beauty. $12. <laughs> Mexico. But only if you're, if you're already like Angelina Jolie. So I yesterday took myself off to a place of beauty. A of place of beauty? Yeah. This will surprise you, I know, because it's not my usual thing to do. Well, it won't surprise you because we live together and you know all about it. <laughs> but for, for dramatic tension's sake, uh -huh. let's just say I'm not usually one to zip off for beautification. Is that Never. Fair? You I, would never. I wouldn't dream I, of it. I have never known you to do that. And if you <laughs> break my illusion, you break my heart, Rowan Mangan. <laughs> what happened? Yeah, um, I'll tell you the backstory. So a little, I don't know, a few months ago, I had to see a dermatologist mm. uh, about something unrelated and he was quite rude to me and said he peeked under my mask. Oh. Himself <laughs> was quite rude. <laughs> and then he was like, so you're going to do anything about that rosacea? And I mean, it's like it was a double-edged sword because I was like, on the one hand, I'm like, so that's why I'm always so weird and pink and blotchy. And on the oh. other hand, I was like, how dare you? <laughs> right. So, but he was like, well, there's something you can do about that. In America, because of the rampant capitalism and absence of a healthcare system, <laughs> Many experts tell you that there are things that can be done. Mm. In Australia, where there's a somewhat socialised healthcare system, people are just like, ah, what are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> I'm bloody sorry about that rosacea, ma'am. <laughs> no, they wouldn't mention it because they'd be like, oh, you don't want to be on a waiting list for six years to deal with that. They just wouldn't. But here it's like, hey, you can get yourself all snazzy and camera ready. Actually, the reason I'm talking about this is that I'm very much not camera ready today, which is why <laughs> people who like checking out our little mini videos that we've been doing won't see any today, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Mm. I went in to get treated by lightsabers. <gasps> yes. There, Was Yoda there? In this mystical, futuristic world that we live in, you can go and have trained professionals apply lightsabers oh. to your own face to get rid of terrible conditions you hitherto did not know that you had <laughs> yeah that's it so uh i got i went in i got goggles put on my little eyes i got gel put on my little face Aww. and uh then i got zapped with lasers quite aggressively <laughs> for about 20 minutes and i tried to be very brave but it effing hurt and that in itself, like pain for sure, is yeah. the price of beauty. Yeah, yeah, right for there, sure. Right. 
Um, but anyway, <laughs> I guess I didn't pay the right amount of pain or money or something because I woke up this morning and I looked in the mirror and there in front of me was the elephant man, Marty. As you perfectly well know, I do because not. you're looking right at me as we say this. Actually, what I heard, I got up second and what I hear from the other room as I'm padding along is, I'm the elephant man, I'm the elephant man. But she looks fine, guys. Yeah, I didn't sing it. I, I sang I, it. I said it plaintively. Oh. And I wanted to warn you because you wouldn't have had any caffeine and you would have come in and then <laughs> you would have got a fright. I'm like, you were attacked by a, an army of Jedi warriors who came at your face. <laughs> I think you look great. Bless you. I am the elephant man. I'm like puffed up beyond recognition. I can see my own face flesh in my peripheral vision. Oh my <laughs> it's so weird. I just like keep going, what's that? And it's like, oh, that's my cheek. <laughs> It's so weird. So I don't know if I'd known this was going to happen while trying to treat having a red face. Why does one have to be bloated to treat a red face? I think when they come and ask you for a testimonial, they'll have a picture of your beautiful face, which was never blotchy looking to me, but it will say, you'll have a little um, testimonial there that will say, I can see my own face flesh. Look, honestly, some person in a white coat could tell me in America, the definition of beauty is being able to see your own face flesh in your peripheral vision. And I'd be like, all right. Well, but be careful if you go to Australia because they will let you die of rosacea without even mentioning it. <laughs> they don't even care. They don't care. Oh, look, so that's that's me. I'm I'm a puffy, a puffy little person today. Now, <laughs> what are you trying to figure out, Marty? Oh, along those same lines, uh-huh. there's there's a part of my day, and it it gets worse as you get past a certain age. You are being initiated into the, I think the period of time when people will be will be suggesting things you should do to your face. <laughs> <laughs> that could be true. It could coincide perhaps with that thing where you um you get told at a certain you get asked by doctors at a certain age if you've had any falls. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I fell on my face, and now I can see my own face flesh. <laughs> Because my eyes turn sideways. No. Um, at first, they just give you stuff like sunscreen. You'll want to have some sunscreen on. Mm. Okay. And then they get the moisturizer with the sunscreen. Mm. Then you get to be a certain age and they start to sell you things that are like age reverse makeup or eye bag deny. Or- Don't you think if you if there was age reverse makeup, we would have heard more about it. I know. I was like, if I use this stuff, will I be Benjamin Button? Exactly. What if I use too much? Will I wake up tomorrow six years old or apparently six years old? Yeah, be careful. Yeah, I could I could dwindle into a fetus and die if I use too much. <laughs> the Republicans will be all over you for that. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, oh, dear. she went there. All right. So what happens is it all seems good in the moment. Plus the shame of it. Oh, my God. They think I need age reverse makeup. Okay, I'll get seven kinds. And then they say, <laughs> and you need the hydrolator and you need the exfoliator because apparently I have foliage on my face now. <laughs> They're like, And so I have, because I am a sucker, I have bought dozens of bottles of emollients. So I get, I get up in the morning. <sighs> I wash my face. That's mm. just the sound I make when I wake up. Can, I, can you do a replay, please? <laughs> I think it's the sound that tips them off that I may need some age reverse makeup. Um, 
But I, I, I wash my face, I brush my teeth, I dry my face, and then I look at the emollients. And there's a, and I don't know what order they go in. Like, and so I, sometimes I just put one or two on, sometimes I put all of them on and then my face starts to slide off. Did you ever consider like putting them one by one in a little pot and mixing it all up and then covering your face? I don't know if that's against the rules, but I should try. It might explode. It might. It I is some serious know. chemistry. Anyway, what it all does is it makes me squishy. It, you know, and I've tried different orders. It's not age reversing, Rowie, as you well know. I think what is happening on the days I use it all is if you took a, like a baseball glove. You don't know baseball gloves in Australia? I understand the concept. Okay. So you take an old catcher's mitt, like the gnarliest kind of baseball glove, hmm. and you put all the emollients on it in hmm. whatever order. Hmm. What you would have is not like a tight-fitting spandex glove. You just have a catcher's mitt that gets really soft and squishy. And that's that's my tale of beauty. You do look very squishy, supple in the face. <laughs> Actually, now that you mention it, I'm like taking a better look. And yeah, I mean, you look lovely. Thank you. She had to take her glasses off to say that. But I, I literally, I'm not even kidding. I'm nearsighted. This is literally true. This is literally, is literally every true. Every single morning, it's like uh, uh, shook, shook, wash, 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 dry, dry, dry application of emollients and I say that phrase out loud application of emollients just to brace myself for the science experience that is my moisturizer I think I'm beginning to understand why you come padding downstairs so much later than the rest of us we've already like had a couple of cups of tea and deep in morning communion when Marty pads along because it takes a while for my face to firm up enough to come into the room and hear you yelling I'm the elephant man (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> when I wake up in the morning, my sound that I make is this. <laughs> <laughs> That's the sound so many people make. <laughs> we'll be right back with more Bewildered. I have a favour to ask. You might not know this, but ratings and reviews are like gold in the podcasting universe. They get podcasts in front of more faces, more eyes, more ears, all the bits that you could have a podcast in front of. That's what they do. So it would help us enormously if you would consider going over to your favorite podcasting app, especially if it's Apple, and giving us a few stars, maybe even five, maybe even six. If you can find a way to hack the system, I wouldn't complain. And uh, a review would also be wonderful. We read them all and love them. So thank you very much in advance. Let's just go out there and bewilder the world. Change, eh? Mm, It sure does keep happening. I feel like there's something that you, Martha Beck, have created that will help us understand how change affects us and how to manage it. By coincidence, now that you mention it, I have. It's called The Change Cycle. Mm. It's about four aspects of the whole process of change. And we've put the information together in one handy place so that the people can refer to it when they're going through change. And you know what else? We also made podcast episodes about each of the four squares in the cycle that are also on this new page that we've made for the peoples. Well, how remarkable is that? All right, you can find out all about the change cycle at marthabeck.com slash change. 
So Marty, as our listeners know, on this podcast, we are all about helping people from bewilderment. Oh, I don't know what to do. I'm so confused. <sighs> to be wilderment. Oh, Ooh, I feel so natural and in tune with my own nature. Good. Right. And that's their wild true nature. That's the good bit. <laughs> um, today on Bewildered, we'll be talking about this topic of mess, mess and order. Mm. And by mess, what we mean is like a messy house. Not you like know. an officer's mess where you go for food. No, or the kind of mess that I feel like I am mm. emotionally but many in actual times. Three-dimensional mess. Three-dimensional mess. Unsightly. Mm. That kind of thing, you know? We actually thought of this topic a while ago. Marty was telling me a story about a long-ago book tour in Germany. Oh. And uh, that's what <laughs> prompted us to be here today. Can you can you enlighten the listeners? Okay, so I, I wrote a book and uh, a wonderful German self-help author who speaks perfect English liked my book, had it translated into German and promoted it so that it actually did quite well. It sold quite well in Germany to the extent that they invited me to come for a book tour. And um, I thought, I said, well, I don't speak German. And they said, oh, that's fine. We all speak English. And I was like, all right, it's a little embarrassing, but okay. And uh, so I went to Germany for a book tour and I got off the plane in Frankfurt and this lovely gentleman from the publisher's office met me and he said, here is your list of speaking engagements. There were nine speaking engagements. And on the last two, it said, translator available. And I said to him, uh, you know, I don't speak German, right? And he said, yeah, but you, you read it. And I was like, no, I'm American. When we say we don't speak something, we really don't speak it. And he said, well, I, I said, don't you guys all speak English really well? And he said, ah, we get it in school, but not so much. <gasps> So I literally am in the, the actor's nightmare. I go back to the hotel. So just to be clear, you yeah. had two, you had translators for two of the events, but all the ones before that, no translation, German speaking audience. Yes. Interesting Publix. situation to find oneself in. I personally would have cried and gone home. I actually, into my head, sprang the first German phrase that I'd ever actually formed up. Mm -hmm. And it was, ich bin totally gefuckt. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I looked it up later. It turns out it's gefickt, but it's close enough. I just think you, you, you felt fucked before you yeah. got gefickt. So what I did, I had I had everything packed in a, one little bag because I'm, I'm proud of being a light packer. You know, I, not anymore, but I was at the time proud of it. Stop laughing at me, you backpack woman. Um, rogue travels the world with nothing but a sarong. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that is literally true. It is like three miles wide <laughs> and 500 yards deep. <laughs> so wrong. Anyway, so I go back to my hotel and I'm like, what am I going to do? Faced with a problem of this size, I became extremely frustrated with my luggage. And I, I displaced all my aggression and horror and fear, uh -huh. rank, brutal fear, onto my luggage and I'm like it's all wrong it's all wrong and I took everything out and I because I, I had a very I had tight pack 
I tight pack. <laughs> <laughs> no, I pack things tightly. Like they, they are approaching a kind of atomic density, mm-hmm. like Big Bang level density in my suitcase. Like if it was coal, it would be about to turn into diamonds. Yes, yes. So I undid it and I took everything out and I was looking for like, oh, what could I use to learn German? And, and I, I actually... <laughs> this sarong? <laughs> if I'd had a sarong, it would have spoken German for me. I did have an idea, which was that I... Uh, decided I would draw cartoons on a transparency because that's what this gentleman from Germany was so good at. He was a cartoonist as well as an author. So I thought I'll get one of those transparency things and I'll speak very slowly in English while I draw pictures of the main points in my book. That is ultimately what I did. But I didn't have that idea at first. I was just throwing things around the room in a complete and total panic. Gotcha. Like you do. Like you do. There's a knock at the door. Boom, boom, boom. And I do know one one sentence that was in a phrase book. Die Dusche ist kaputt, which means this, the shower is broken. Yeah. So I'm like, whatever, whoever it is and whatever they say, I'm just going to tell them, Die Dusche ist kaputt, and put them on the defensive. Can I just say something? What? <laughs> if you had been able to say instead of the Dusche is kaputt. Yeah. If you had just said the Deutsche is, is kaputt. kaputt. See, but you know more German than I do. No, so. no, that's literally, that's that's Deutsche. That's my German. That's literally true. That's literally true. <laughs> Sorry, what happened? So Knock what on happened the door. is I opened the door armed with my one phrase of German. And there's this beautiful, distinguished gentleman author. Oy. To whom I owe such gratitude. And I immediately like crank the door tight right, right around my face. Lucky it was so squishy. <laughs> <laughs> kind of extruded forward. And he was, but he wasn't looking at it. He was looking behind me and trying not to freak out because of the room. So just paint us a word picture of the state oh of the my room. God. It was absolute mayhem there were clothes scattered everywhere there were notebooks there were like items to eat because they give me like they literally items to eat sounds very they've naughty. given me little liquor bottles on the plane i don't even drink so there there's like liquor everywhere because i save it i don't drink it i just save it that's what i do with intoxicating substances so anyway i'm like i'm so sorry take me a minute to get ready so then um, I closed the door and I died a thousand times. Mm. And um, and then we went to dinner and he didn't say anything. Mm. And we went on our little book tour and I did my thing with the cartoons and everyone was so gracious. And that, we got to know each other a little. And like the third day, he turns to me and he says, so, are you a messy? <laughs> And I was like, oh, ich bin totally did he, give, did he ask you the question with the kind of like... Hey, it's okay. Yes. We're both self-help authors here. Yes. No judgment. Yeah. Are you a messy? Just tell me. Just tell me whether or not you're a messy. It's okay. You're among friends. It was, and I, I learned as we went along that he was quite interested in mess. And he told me the number of people that died in Germany every year because their their stuff collapsed on them. I mentioned this in a previous podcast. I learned it from him. But he was very gracious. And I just, ugh. It, you have to do a lot of cleanliness to disprove one huge, horrific mm. mess. Mm. But here's the thing. I had an idea. The reason I was making the mess is that I have a particular relationship to it. I believe that it's part of the creative process. And that if you're going to solve a problem, 
you need to make a mess first or I, I should own this. I need to make a mess for it. We'll, we'll talk about this in a minute, but that's what happens. I create a mess almost deliberately in order to come up with ideas about what to do when I feel totally gefecht. I don't believe you. I don't believe that you were hurling your things around that German hotel room deliberately to, to prompt a creative idea. I think you were freaking out. Well, that too, that absolutely is the case, but I was nice to myself about it. I didn't say to myself, I'm a messy. I said to myself, there's a reason for this mm. and I'm going to figure it out. And I did figure it out. And it was, Didusha is <laughs> <laughs> What other alternative did I have really? But uh, yeah. yeah, it was humiliating. And I think a lot of people are humiliated about feeling like they're a messy. Oh my God, totally, totally. What, like, what experiences do you have in your life of being or not being a messy? Well, I grew up in a tiny little house that had 10 people in it. Jesus. I was the seventh of eight children. So by the time I was there, it was very, very crowded and very, very cluttered. You think about all the stuff collected by 10 people over the years. And we, my siblings and I would talk about the mess of our house almost constantly. It was like a, a major feature of my childhood. Yeah. And we were so like my older teenage siblings would give me instructions about how to keep people from coming to our house or knowing where it was even. Mm. There was so much. And then later, so then later I learned to like clean things up and I went to work in a Mormon camp in the woods where I was supposed to teach art and run this little art studio, mm. but they were trying to get bang for their bucks. So the Mormon counselors would have, or the bosses would have all of us go out and clean sticks and rocks out of the creek. Wait, they, they made you clean the creek they did yeah so i go from one extreme which is just chaos chaos and then i'm in this weird atmosphere where these super mormon people are telling us that the creek is messy because it has rocks and sticks in it yeah what's a creek bed supposed to be made out of i have no idea linoleum <laughs> yeah, right. marble <laughs> well right. i mean i suppose marble would be fine in its natural yeah, marble state. would be good but i mean that was so that was the, just this bizarre set of extremes yeah and i was very confused by it for much of my life yeah it's funny so for me it was like i didn't know how to tidy as a child i didn't know how to clean my room and it was mm -hmm. this whole big struggle that I went through that I really just couldn't do it. Hmm. And I, I didn't understand why I didn't even understand what, and I think I can remember at one point trying to claim to a friend of my mother's that I actually preferred the look of mess <laughs> than tidy. And he said to me, you just like it because it's easy. And I knew even at the time, no, that's, that's not it. That's not what it is. But, God, it was so hard for me to even begin to do it. And I could do lots of things, but I could right. not ever do that. Um, and I've thought about that more recently, especially since, you know, in, in your coach training program, everyone learns about what you call the living space metaphor. Right. And I just think I, it's like a, it's taught me to have a glimpse into my little childhood psychology. Um, yeah. But yeah, like talk about the talk the, about the living space metaphor because it's so interesting. Yeah, it's a tool we use in our coach training that comes in, from my experience plus reading a book uh, called Care of the Soul by a guy named Thomas Moore who was a monk for a while, not the old timey like 
ancient Renaissance yeah. Thomas More, but more modern. And he, he was, was more like Tommy Moore. Tommy Moore, yeah. Timor, they would call it. <laughs> that Monk was his DJ Timor. name. <laughs> That's right. That's his DJ monk name. So he was a monk for a while and he came out of monkness. He decided not to be a monk. And all he had owned for like 20 years was like a cup. Mm. And so he had, he got an apartment and then he knew he had to put stuff in it. Mm. And because he was so contemplative and so used to like dealing with people's insides, he noticed that everything he chose to buy, a bar of soap, you know, a, a welcome mat, it all reflected something about his state of mind. Mm. So he was also a psychiatrist. I think he became a psychiatrist later. And um, he would go to his clients' houses and just walk through the house because he came to believe that every space we live in becomes a three-dimensional self-portrait of our inner life. Hmm. So, and I remember the first time I used this on a client and she said, well, that's not true of me because my entire house, I have four children. The house is completely full of their stuff. There's no room for me. <laughs> oh yeah, you're right. It works. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, it's something we use and there's a sort of way that you do it. But I've really noticed that my living space seems to reflect my inner state without my consciously being able to shift things. It happens automatically. Mm. And I couldn't keep things clean either. I didn't learn that when I was a kid. But when I did learn it, it sort of came out of nowhere. It felt like the room was cleaning itself. And it was because I was in therapy. Hmm. And yeah. things got straightened out. Yeah. So yeah. I, I allow myself a certain amount of messiness because I understand that my insides are messy sometimes. Mm. And, I, you know, there are ways to deal with that, which we'll talk about in just a minute. <laughs> so... What would we say the culture says about mess, Marty? Mm, well, our particular, I, I would say, we always end up with Western. I think you meant to say Northern. Northern? Yeah. Well, I, I like to say weird cultures, the Western educated, industrialized, rich, and democratic. Well, I prefer to say the neared cultures because that's Northern educated, industrialized, rich, and, rich, and, rich and, and either developed or democratic. I can never remember. Anyway. Yeah, we know what we're talking about. It's the culture that surrounds almost everybody who's listening to this because it either you either were born into it or you were born into a culture that was taken over by it. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, the the at least our culture is like messiness is not only bad and wrong. It's I think chaos itself is seen as terrifying. Mm, yeah. Like yeah. the chaos, like cities used to be considered so calming because they weren't the mad chaos of nature and don't don't go to that state and by the way shame on you if you, everything's done in perfect order all the time around you yeah you know that like that sort of cliche of the well the wife let's just say it um you know walking down the hallway with the guests oh i'm so sorry about the mess you know the house is probably pristine but mm -hmm. the shame that they may spot something out of place yeah or whatever you know or, or like you like hiding your face in the ajar your squishy squishy face in the <laughs> hotel room <laughs> yeah um, to hide the fact that you were a messy in that moment it is totally gendered though isn't it yeah. like it all goes along with some sort of housewife ideal yeah. kind of thing i mean it's not entirely but because uh, it <laughs> do you remember we we have a not so secret um 
uh, what's the word? Passion. I Passion. Think. That's the right word for the Great British Bake Off, which in America is called the Great British Baking Show. Mm. And uh, there's this one line that we will always remember where Mary Berry, many seasons ago, listener, when Mary Berry uh, complimented someone's, I don't know, biscuits. Frequently, not just oh, once. Oh, really? I yeah. only remember it once where she, she said approvingly, they're like a row of soldiers. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, that leads me directly to her wanting to eat all of them, and that would be we could go oh um, in so many directions, so many wrong directions. Anyway, she did. She repeatedly would say, "That's a, like a row of soldiers," which is a really interesting point in itself. I should say that she meant that they were neatly. Yeah, they were neat. They were identical, mm. and they were perfectly aligned. That's right. In straight lines or perfect circles. And I mean, that's a great, like, little little mini version of what the whole culture means by ordered. A row of soldiers. Identical in straight lines. And, and also the, carrying guns. And carrying I'm, guns. You know, let's just. <laughs> that's fine. As long as you're not a messy. Yeah. Don't so uh, messy. if you think about it, though, that's how the British lost the Revolutionary War with America, because they, the way they did war this is how obsessive their their concept of order was. Hmm. You get in these perfect squares, soldiers in a row, like cookies. Yes. They're all like the generals would come along and say, it's like a batch of cookies. <laughs> <laughs> Biscuits, sorry. Um, and then they would march into deadly fire and they would die in droves, but the guys at the back would have a chance to kill the other people who were marching in perfect squares across the field. Mm. And the Americans had the temerity, mm. the gall, to hide behind trees and shoot from there and then run to another tree. Can you even imagine? Like which can. They even had to learn from the indigenous population, right? Mm. And it's not the way the British were fighting, the reason they lost that war was that it's much more natural to fight from behind a tree and then run. Like, yeah. it was culture over nature, big time. That's fascinating. And then we were all supposed to be so proud of this. They taught us this in grade school, Rowie. And then while I was still very, very little, um, we lost the Vietnamese War for very similar reasons. Yeah. Like, we had all these, all this firepower and everything. The Viet Cong were fighting for their homes. They would have things like... They'd send soldiers out alone with a bicycle tube filled with rice tied around his waist. And there was no, like, platoon. It was just a dude. Go out and, you know, do as much as you can. And they'd be like, okay. So they were even more sort of left to their own natural devices. Right, right. And they... And it even occurred to me that soldiers go into battle in the first place because of they are ordered. Right. You follow orders. Yes. Oh, my God. And it's, I mean, I don't, I don't want to take this podcast in this direction too far, but, you know, the thinking about the gas chambers of the Holocaust yeah. as like the, the sort of natural consequence, the extreme version of that idea of that sort of industrialization and factory approach. They're all, you know. Yeah. Factory death factory death yeah. it is kind of the logical extreme of the type of approach the mechanistic no natural chaos approach that that our whole culture takes to everything they're all made out of ticky tacky and they all look just the same that's, that's cite that reference for those it's who have about heard suburbia. that song um yeah 
we'll put it in the show notes. Oh yeah, it's a song it's about a song. how people little boxes on the hillside, little boxes made of ticky tacky. Yeah, and boxes. the people inside are all made out of ticky tacky. Yep, and they all look just the same. Yeah. yeah, and and that was sort of an ideal for a while. And let me just say that in every culture, mm. people create tidiness because it does. It is calming to the nervous system. People create various types of beauty. They all, everybody decorates their living space in every culture. They decorate, everybody decorates the body. Like we have a natural desire to make things beautiful around us. Mm, mm. It's just that in our culture, it's always in this Newtonian straight line arrangement. And if you look at the history of colonialism, every single time the first worlders went into an, to destroy a new traditional culture they described it as being a mess yeah and the people yeah. is lazy totally and there's that thing about that you talk about with the the way that um you know various i don't i don't know the the origins of this story but indigenous people are seeing the the colonizers like something about their eyes and the intense focus of their eyes yeah. like even that is sort of like this straight line stare at the thing yeah very linear, very focused yeah. attention. And that was actually studied, uh, the whole idea of soft fo focus versus narrow, uh, sort of strict focus was studied at Princeton by a guy named Les Femi, who um, he had people hooked up to fMRIs to see how the brain was working. And one of the things he found is that that laser-eyed stare um, was associated with the fight or flight response in the brain and that it actually rules out almost everything from your attention. Mm. But people who go in, like when we go to South Africa and we go out with trackers who are brilliant, brilliant trackers, they always go into a soft eye focus because it changes the way the brain perceives and it allows them to see much more, but they're not thinking in these rigid straight lines anymore. Well, no wonder we have to march in formation and just shoot straight forward and get shot from the first line to the back if we if we can't even perceive properly <laughs> exactly and and we miss almost everything then how can we hide behind trees <laughs> you yeah know? it doesn't even occur to us yeah because our attention is so bottled up and I remember flying um from London to South Africa the first time I went over the continent and I was just so excited to be seeing the African continent and I looked out and real I was so used to flying across America and seeing these perfectly straight farms like these squares of territory or sometimes perfect circles where they have those rotator things to water the crops. And you look down at, at Africa and wherever there's agriculture, the lines of the fields follow the contours of the landscape. So there's not a straight line to be seen. Wow. And in fact, there are almost no straight lines in nature. So it's very weird to to associate order with straight lines. It's a very culturally specific phenomenon and our culture just says yeah you got to be this way and it keeps you away it, it constricts us it keeps us from being playful or inventive I think it makes us very rigid yes. and frankly boring I agree with you I agree completely you know it's so funny I had such a similar experience as you a long time ago on a plane and it's funny how like when you're up like that mm -hmm. you, you you can put things into it makes sense of things there you are mm -hmm. um more than you can on the ground it's like bird's eye view so anyway listen I want to do something really self-indulgent which is there's a paragraph from my book that is about this exact thing your um, book being the novel you wrote my novel yes yes 
And so I am now going to read from my book for just one short paragraph. Please. Okay. I once flew across the length of Russia in suspended animation, my eyes locked on the wintered ground below. It was a strange black and white landscape between fathomless horizons, crisscrossed with occasional mysterious scratchings indicating human life. From that particular distance, the evidence of humanity was kind of lame. A patchwork of rectangles, a dark symmetrical scramble. There's so little temperate space in which to make a life. Just each of us squatting on the planet inside the shape we've sketched into the ground around us. If we want to differentiate ourselves from nature, we draw a square. If we want to claim belonging, we draw a circle. There you go. Now, that is something that I thought on a plane many years ago. So we both had similar sorts of experiences looking down and and seeing things that aren't perfect straight lines and going, the straight lines have an alien relationship to this landscape and to us. Yes. I love we ske- we draw a sketch of what is it you just said we draw we sketch our own shape we we sketch a shape around us oh. on the planet we just squat on the planet with a with a some sort of line drawing around so our bodies. So I think that you know the mess or the order and your your definition of it it happens inside the sketch. Yeah. And whatever you're feeling at the time is what ends up getting drawn around you but I think it also changes which is a very important point. The idea of it being like rigid and un- unable to shift is one of the problems with the culture. So Marty, I have a question. When we talk about coming to our senses with mess and order, this is my question. If we know that mess, you know, it, in our home environment, for instance, like, and mm-hmm. we do know that, that it adds to the sort of informational load that our brain is trying to process and puts more stress mm-hmm. on it. And we know that mess can also be a sort of expression of a negative emotional state yeah right so if that's true then why doesn't the apparent mess of nature like you know a forest floor or covered in leaves why doesn't that have the same negative or stressful effect on us how do we come to our senses and back to our nature yeah on this issue I've always been weird. <laughs> when I write and speak professionally, I have to tone it down, especially the part where I believe the universe loves us and is on our side. A few years ago, I decided to just show up online and say what I really think. This became The Gathering Pod, a series of discussions about how to thrive in a difficult world. So if you need hope, inspiration, or a chance to listen to someone much weirder than you could ever be, Come join me on The Gathering Pot. It is really interesting that the, the only place I've seen that considered the sticks a problem in a creek was a very fundamentalist religion. Mm, interesting. So I think it, it even extended to the forest for these folks. But for most of us, contrary to conventional wisdom, the random or the, the disorder of nature is harmonious and appealing. And one of my favorite books in the world is a book called Chaos by James Gleick. Mm. When I read it, it was very current thinking. It's not anymore. And I haven't read any more on the subject since. So this is going to be dated back to the 90s or whatever. But it's about how mathematicians thought they could predict everything if they knew the, you know, the position and velocity of every particle. And then they figured out that there are some situations, e.g. nature, where there are too many variables interacting in too many ways to be predictable. 
So you can't tell exactly what the weather's going to be. You can't tell at all. You can't, for instance, tell exactly what's going to happen if you bring a whole bunch of dinosaurs back to life on an island to make a theme park because famously life uh, finds a way. Yeah. That actually, first of all, I see no problem with that plan. <laughs> but also, yeah, um, when he wrote Jurassic Park, uh, Michael Crichton was actually borrowing from the mathematics of chaos. It was a big yeah. thing at the time, this discovery that chaos creates pattern disorder. Yeah. So it doesn't, it never does the same thing exactly, but it does something that's kind of similar over and over again. Fractals. Fractals, yeah. So a snowflake has six sides because the molecules of water are shaped in such a way that they always form these six-sided um, forms. Mm. But because they encounter different conditions as they tumble through the air, each one of them accumulates crystals in a, a different way. So there are no two the same, but they always have six sides. That's pattern disorder. And, you know, you look at a photograph of a whole bunch of snowflakes and it's not messy. It's gorgeous. That's how I feel when I see like a, a photograph full of velociraptors. <laughs> <laughs> Just, it's beautiful. Coming straight at you. Yeah. On the screen. Yeah. Remember, I was stuck in the car with a velociraptor. Well, a very small. Oh. It was actually a blue, a blue jay, but they're descended from dinosaurs. And you know, it was beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> there is a subset of our listenership who are so obsessed with that story. Oh, really? Oh, my God. I get messages about it all the time. I can't remember which earlier episode Marty tells the Blue Jay story. And oh, you know what? It's one with dinosaurs in the title. Oh, dinosaurs yeah. and something. Yeah. Well, yeah. I was so pleased with that story. And I was like, look at me. I am like the bird whisperer. I, this bird walked into my lap voluntarily. And people were like, oh, my God, you're so amazing. And then I tell my oldest child, Kit, and, and they go, yeah, Corvids. <laughs> it's like, uh-huh, they're very intelligent. They, they do what they damn well want. I'm like, you're a Corvid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's an excellent comeback. Kit is never impressed by my shit. <laughs> but, you know, back to that story, are you a messy? Yeah. Well, I'm not going to march in straight lines into gunfire. That's the thing. If, mm. if it's time to make something new, I will borrow from nature and look for the pattern disorder and look for what feels like balance and harmony because that is how chaos actually works in nature. It creates balance, harmony, and beauty. Yeah. So, yeah. Like right now, I was um, there's a little part of my room where I used to do um, Zoom things during pandemic. Yeah. Pandemic's gotten, we'd have a different Zoom place. I thought, I'm going to redo that part of my room as my little art studio. <laughs> I have no place to paint. <laughs> so I, everything got all disorganized. I moved in all my canvases. And, and then I just went, no, 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 no. That hurts my heart. And I started moving things out. And every time I moved something out, it felt better and better and better until the space was almost completely clear. And what it needed was a perfect rock. <laughs> no kidding oh i understand so i went online and by god i found the perfect rock 
and it was $28 and that is the price of beauty. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and I got it and I put it in there with like five books and I'm like, that's all that wants to be in that space. And so I was literally letting myself be completely messy, mm. but I was following my inner nature, which knows what it wants to see. Oh, interesting. And what it wants to feel. Yeah. And am I messy? Yeah, but I'm also orderly. It's, I'm in the chaos of nature. Absolutely. Well, actually, that's the thing that strikes me about nature is that it's always changing, right? Mm. It's always moving. Yep. And it's it's the that movement, that sort of ever changing sort of thing about nature that is its beauty. I think it right. doesn't. It's not rigid. It's not boring. It never stays still. Yeah. And I do have some Ani DeFranco lyrics that... What? You have Ani DeFranco lyrics? <laughs> that is literally true. This has never happened before. <laughs> I might have even quoted these ones before because they're kind of like lyrics for all occasions. Mm. Um, I'm going to have to write, write to Ani and see if I can start putting her songs on our podcast. So these are the lines that I thought about, which are, it took me too long to realize that I don't take good pictures because I have the kind of beauty that moves. Oh, right. You should have said that to your damn dermatologist. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had now. Oh. Can I just say, calling that back, that in future years when people forget the pandemic, when you say my dermatologist peeked under my mask... People it already were, sounds pretty risque. I, but I had an image of you in like a rubber Richard Nixon head or something. I had your scuba suit on. Right. <laughs> and he was like, hello. No, but sorry, I don't mean to. That's a big downbeat after hearing Ani DeFranco's really gorgeous lyric. I have the kind of beauty that moves. Because when things stagnate, they, for example, I think if that little blue jay, say it was a female blue jay or at least... Cis, say it was a cis female blue jay <laughs> and it laid some eggs what could be more perfect and beautiful than the shape of an egg right like mm. you can't improve upon that that is just a gorgeous natural form mm. but wouldn't that blue jay be sad if the little chick inside didn't shatter that perfect form and come out and become another perfect form okay so this is the perfect story except if any of us call to mind what a baby bird looks like not <laughs> the most beautiful form maybe two big birds at least two big bird on sesame street it's a very <laughs> very beautiful form that nasty scriggly little like screechy yeah gaping. it looks like some kind of indecent organ with a beak <laughs> very well put very well put yeah but to the mommy blue jay and the daddy blue jay the, or the lesbian parent right. blue jays. Or the adoptive. gay thruple blue jays. It does, whatever. When the eggs hatch, people don't grieve the loss of that beautiful smooth egg because what's coming out of it looks messier. It, a baby bird is a damn mess. I mean, my German friend would take one look and go, you're a messy. And yet, nature is creating what eventually becomes a velociraptor and we know how beautiful that is yeah and, and it's always true that's always uh, an alternation between disintegration and integration yeah yeah i love that actually what what it seems to me is that it's actually the the mess versus order dichotomy that is actually the cultural construction here you know that yes that where where we've actually just got a changing landscape in our lives that's always moving and always changing, 
the culture says, you are a messy, mm. you are a tidy. Yeah. And that's, that's not right. It's only ever in the moment. Yeah, but it is. And to to designate someone that with language actually keeps them fixed in, at least in terms of self identity. I was just thinking that. Sorry to interrupt you, but it's so funny that you said that about language because I just started thinking about Spanish and the way that to be. There's two different verbs for to be in Spanish, and mm. one designates right now. This <laughs> is, and one designates always. So ser means I am and always will be. Oh. If you conjugate that. But if you use estar, I think, mm. um, that means, well, right now I am standing on the street, but I'm not always going to be. Wow. Look at you showing off your polyglotness. I have, first of all, that is a really beautiful thing. And I wish we had that same breakdown in our verbs. And also, didusha is kaput. So kaput. you're That's not the only bilingual person in the room. <laughs> Um, no, I think that the, the language there has caught on to the reality, which is that order and disorder are, are two halves of a dance mm. that is always going on in nature, and one can't occur without the other. So only if things stop moving do you get anything rigid. And so, you know, I was a messy that day. Mm. And then when I cleaned everything out of my room and put it in a rock, I was a tidy. Mm. And I'm still a messy and I'm still a tidy. And I think every one of us gets to be that. Yeah. And, you know, plus now you have a rock. <laughs> Just a bonus. And if that's not our true nature, I don't know, I what, don't know it is. what it is. So, you know, get into your messiness, get into your tidiness, get into the rhythm of the beauty that moves and stay, stay wild. But also change. We hope you're enjoying Bewildered. If you're in the USA and want to be notified when a new episode comes out, text the word WILD to 570-873-0144. We're also on Instagram. Our handle is Bewildered Podcast. You can follow us to get updates, hear funny snippets and outtakes, and chat with other fans of the show. Bewildered is produced by Scott Forster with support from the brilliant team at MBI. And remember, if you're having fun, please rate and review and stay wild. You know, what I'm seeing out in the world is a lot of fear and a growing amount of despair. Maybe you're feeling that way too, because the ways our culture has taught us to navigate the world, to navigate our lives, they are failing us. We need a new language. We need a new set of tools to find our way individually and as a group. And I know we can still do this. I put everything I do know about it into Wayfinder Life Coach Training. And the tools that I teach there are to help people redefine how we relate to each other, how we make a living, how we do community. We can only change the world for the better if we redefine how we think and the world needs Wayfinders now more than ever. So please go to MarthaBeck.com and you'll find your way. <laughs>